Okay. Welcome. Thanks for coming. We're going to go ahead and get started. I'm still adjusting this thing a little bit. We'll shut this door. Okay. Well, you guys, thanks for coming to the seminar today. And really quick, because when we have a group that's small enough, I love to just have a little bit of interaction and know a little bit about you. So we're going to go around the room, and I just want to hear your name and one thing about you, it could be your line of work, it could be something about your family, it could be um, where you moved from to get to Salem, I don't care. Just one thing about you that helps us have a little piece of information about you. Is that fair? Okay, so Carly, can I start with you? Sure. Thanks. Your name and one thing about you. Could be family, could be work, could be where have you lived before Salem, it doesn't matter, just something about you. Okay, <laughs> that tells us a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, good. We're just going to come straight across the front this way. So, happy birthday! But you're celebrating. Very cool. Okay, that's cool. Yep. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Sherry. We'll go across the aisle. Mm-hmm. Lots of our little kids know Rosalind. Okay, so Tina, we're back to you. Do you want to? I, I told them your name, but tell us something about you. I'm Tina Hanson, and I love soft, fluffy things. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Tina. And I really do. I mean, I love soft, fluffy, whatever stuffed animals, blankets. I think it's one of the. I think it's one of the senses that speaks to you. All right, moving on over here. Yes. I'm there. there. Yep. And Lori and I go way back. We ran cross country together in high school. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Only because my legs are a little bit longer. <laughs> Heidi. I'm Heidi, and um, my, my, our first grown-up Yeah, we're just saying our name and one thing about us. Could be job, could be whatever. <laughs> That's great. We love that. Thank you, Jackie. We'll cross the aisle here. I'm Jonna, and uh, I'm in the process of applying for our Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's awesome. <laughs> yep. I'm Thanks, Rhonda. Good. Good. Okay. We're in Southern California. Okay. Yeah. We'll go to the back row here. Very cool. Yeah. So what are you reading right now? Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's good to see you, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 Ye
That's great. We are coming across the aisle. We will skip because you don't even know what we're doing, and I'm going to come back. Okay? Right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So circling back, just your name and one thing about you. Anything at all. <laughs> and that can be it. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you, Maddie. I hope it was unlocked down there. Jared's been locking and unlocking to try to keep things secure down there while we're not there. Thank you, everybody, for your introductions. I love for us just to have, even if it's small, a point of connection when we enter into a topic like this. So thanks for engaging that way. My name is Jennifer. I am the women's ministry pastor here, which means that um, being a Christian has been my profession for about seven years. And that is an interesting thing to walk. And I don't really mean that truly. I, being a Christian is my life calling following Jesus. But it does change things a little bit. I have three children. Uh, one is almost 17 next week, I think. I probably should think about birthday. Um, a 15-year-old and 11-year-old. My 11-year-old girl is the only girl on both sides of our family. So there are 12 grandkids on my side and six grand, nope, six on my side, 12 on my husband's side, all boys. My daughter's the youngest on both sides and the only girl. Um, she was also born with some health issues, which have since been resolved, but um, there were three years of seriously our world just revolved around her. So if you can imagine, I'm just dealing with unraveling a princess complex. Some days that goes better than others, um, but that's kind, of my, that's kind of my challenge with the delight, uh, the delight of having a daughter is also the delight of figuring out how to parent a female. Um, thank you, Tina. Sheila, we were just sharing name and one thing about you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So this topic that we're talking about today is um, the question of calling. And as we dive into that, let me just set a couple things straight. How many of you uh, hands have done the Myers-Briggs? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So the Myers-Briggs is like a personality typing that helps talk about the differences in things. So um, how many of you are a J? And how many of you are a P? Okay, so for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, a J is your linear, um, you like to have a plan, you like to make lists, you like to keep things in order, and you like to get them done on time. So how many of that is that you, now that you know what I'm talking about? Okay, <laughs> hands down. Your P is the person who is a little bit more perceptive, flexible, doesn't mind working on procrastination time, last minute is just as good as early, then how many of you that's you? Okay, so for those of you who just raised your hand with the P, you're going to be fine with today's seminar and the way the notes are organized. No problem. <laughs> those of you who are in the J camp, kind of you like things linear, my notes are going to drive you crazy. So let me just explain right now what I did. We are going to talk through the story of Gideon, and we are going to go through the Bible passage. So if you're a J, just focus on the fact that I am talking through the verses in order. But what I did with your notes was I kind of took all of my ideas and I sorted them into this idea of how do we recognize God's call and what are the hurdles to hearing and following God. You'll see that one of those is on the front and one of those is on the back. Um, I'm not doing those in the order that they're printed. So if you're a serious, like you like things in order, just put my notes away and get out a blank piece of paper because it will drive you crazy. But if you're like, this is fine, I'll do the, you know, connect the dots and find it. The things that I'm going to say as we talk through Gideon will probably be on your notes, but not necessarily in that order. Does that make sense? 
because I kind of took all the concepts from the story of Gideon and put them in notes, and then I realized I'm really just going to talk through it chronologically as the, as the story tells it, okay? We are, just for those of you who like to know time, we are finishing up here at 11.50, and then we're going downstairs for the final main session with some worship and some sharing time, so. Oh, interesting. We start at 11.50, we finish at 12.50. Yeah, we finish at 11.50 and go downstairs at once. You get an hour and 10 minutes, a minute, an hour ago. Yeah. So finish at 12.50 and we're downstairs by one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, but we're here for now. So let's dive into this idea. The question of calling. um, In my life, I have been a Christ follower since I was five years old, and that's been 41 years as of last week. I grew up in the Nazarene Church um, up the street on Market Street and moved here to Salem Alliance when I was a sophomore in high school, which, if you do the math, was 30 years this last December. It feels really old to have been at my second church for 30 years. You know, if, if I'd just grown up in one church and been there 30 years, I'd be a lot younger than I am, but I'm not. And I, my first serving opportunity in all of that being raised in the church, I think probably my first time at church, I was about a week old. So this is just my history, right? And I think the first serving thing I did was I was a, in the sixth grade, I helped out with the preschool vacation Bible school. And then as I got into middle school and high school, I started being a camp counselor at a grade school camp. When I got into college, I moved up and was a middle school volunteer leader. And then I graduated into being a peer leader in the college group. And then I graduated into serving in our life path ministries for a while. And then I graduated to women's ministries when I had my first child. And my first role in women's ministries was as the volunteer missions coordinator. Um, I was on a leadership team under Susan Garlinger and learned a lot from her. I served as four years as the missions coordinator, and then I served as three years as the um, Hearts at Home co-leader. Took a couple years off from women's ministry and led a children's worship choir for a couple years. And I don't know if you're hearing this, but one of the things that's just been ingrained in me as a Christ follower is part of our discipleship journey is volunteering is serving, is, is investing back into the kingdom. And it's just kind of a life thing that has come natural to me because that's what I was raised with. Sometimes when we get to this question of calling, we have this idea of what am I supposed to do, in quotes, right? What am I doing? And we think, well, am I supposed to be a camp counselor or volunteer with this ministry or do this with this ministry? And while those things are the outflow of what God's call is on our life, there's so much more to, that, to it than that. So I'd like to just pause for a second and say this whole word calling, when we say it, what's meant by it? What comes to your mind when you read about this and you saw the question of calling? What do you think when you hear the word calling? Purpose. Hearing. Okay. Giftedness. Uh, T, would you tell us a little bit more what you mean by giftedness? Yeah, how do I use my strengths and, and what are the gifts that God has given us to further his work in the, in the body. Those are, so if, if you're unfamiliar with that term, the, the Bible talks quite a bit about a spiritual gift, something that God equips us to do that we could not do without him, supernaturally empowered, that is unique to each believer. And if that's not a teaching you've heard before, I would really encourage you to dig into that because it's not one that we have time for today. But knowing how God has wired you has a lot to do with responding to what he's inviting you into and his promptings. We see that in Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 10. It's on the back of your handout just at the bottom if you want to read along. But it says, we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there is a work that is yours to do that's different than the work that is mine to do. There is something about the way God created me that is unique for what he, would, he knew that I would need. And he knew it before I was born. He prepared in advance the things that he would be inviting us into. So that, that ties in with our giftedness. What else? When you hear the word calling, what do you think of? Direction. So a need to know what it is. I think in that case, um, part of what I've wrestled with with this idea of calling is, how do I know if I'm hearing God right? How do I know if this is the will of God? How do I learn to have confidence in the nudges and the promptings that I have in my spirit to help me discern, is this a way I should go or is this not a way I should go? So yeah, direction. Anything else? Perp- go ahead. If that's impossible and I feel compelled, that's probably God. And that is where we're landing today. So folks, she's preached the end of it and you can go early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oftentimes what God is inviting into us is beyond our experience, beyond our expertise, beyond what we feel comfortable with, maybe even beyond our understanding. Um, that's why it's a God-sized calling because <laughs> it's something that we can't do. Yeah. So in light of this word of calling, there's a little bit more definition I'd like to do, and that is what I would call the difference between universal calling and individual calling. So as Christ follower, our universal calling is very well spelled out in the Bible. We can read this, we can see the life of Jesus, and we can know what the universal calling is for a Christ follower. We are to be completely humble and gentle and patient, and bearing with one another in love. We're to walk in forgiveness. We're to share the gospel. We're to disciple others. What else? What are some other universal callings that are all believers? Speak the truth in love. There are times the truth needs to be spoken, and truth can be hard, but we're to speak it in love. That is a universal calling. We're to be truth speakers and in love. What else? Go and make disciples. That's a universal calling. Yep. Outreach. outreach. Yep. Both the evangelism outreach and the serving others, the, the show and tell of the gospel. We show people what love is and we tell people what love is. Anything else? Be holy as I am holy. That is a universal calling. We are to be leaning into the life that God calls us to and living under the blood of Jesus, who is the only one who can make us holy. I'm reminded of a verse that I'm not going to be able to find because I don't have my Bible with me that I know where everything is on the page. But it's the one that says, you foolish believers, having begun by faith, do you now think you're going to be able to do this on your own power? You continue to walk out your faith in the same way that you were saved. We were saved by believing that we couldn't save ourselves, and only God could forgive our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness, and make us holy. But now that we've become a Christian, we think that we can work this out with our own strength, and the answer is no. It takes the same amount of faith to walk each day as a disciple of Christ as it takes to be saved in the first place. 
Every day is me casting myself on God and saying, I can't do this. You are the only one who can do this in me. So then, in light of the universal calling, there's also an individual calling where each of us were created specific as a work of God with work for us to do that he knew in advance. God says that he gives us specific gifts. To some, the gift of teaching. To others, the gift of mercy. To others, the gift of giving. To others, the gift of caregiving. And so you guys have seen this play out in your life, even if you didn't know what it was called, where you have that person who, when you sit down to coffee and you start talking with them, they just seem to understand your heart. And the wisdom that they share with you is like, wow, how did God know that I needed to hear that today? Now, that might be a wise person. Being wise might be part of their skill set. It might be part of their life experience. But at some point, it crosses over into they couldn't have known that unless God had laid that on their heart. And there's a gift of knowledge and of wisdom at play there. Some of you, um, this is so amazingly important that you need to listen carefully right now. Some of you have the gift of mercy. And when you hear that somebody is hurting, you think of a way to help them. Let's just choose a really easy one. You take a meal. Somebody's having a baby, you take a meal. Somebody got sick, you take a meal. This is the first thing you think of. I need to explain something to you. When I hear that somebody is hurting, I don't think of taking a meal. It's not that I choose not to take a meal. It's that it does not even rise up in me to consider taking them a meal. I am not wired. It is not one of my primary ways that either my personality nor my spiritual gifting, it is not mercy. So part of what we have to understand with this idea of gifting or skill set is that when you and I are born, we grow up and we have a world and we receive from that world and we respond to that world and all of that happens in our head and the only thing we know is what's in our head. So we assume that what happens in our head is what happens in everybody else's head. And that's not necessarily true. Are you following me? So if you are a person, just tell me truthfully, if somebody is hurting, do you think of taking a meal? Raise your hand if that's you. Trudy, can I pick on you? So if Trudy knows that whenever somebody's hurting, she thinks of taking a meal, it would be easy for Trudy to assume that everyone thinks of taking a meal because that's what people do when people are hurting. She has an assumption based on her reality that she doesn't recognize that that's part of her giftedness. Everybody does that. No, everybody doesn't do that. Take it to a different example. I was in my 20s, and Barbara Fletcher was a spiritual mentor of mine. I went into her office one day, and I sat down, and I said, man, I just had the greatest quiet time. I opened up my Bible, and I read this verse, and it just fell out to me in a three-point outline of how I could teach it. It was so cool how God was showing me that. And she says, man, Jennifer, this is how I know that you have the gift of teaching. And I said, what? Doesn't everybody read their Bible that way? (laughs) I was 20 years old, and I honestly did not know that not everybody read their Bible with it falling open to them in a three-point outline. That's not because of my experience. That's not because of my schooling. That's not because I'm so smart. That's because I have a spiritual gift to clearly communicate what the Holy Spirit is telling me. That's how God wired me. That's a part of my individual calling. And you have an individual calling on your life, and it plays out differently. There's two things I want to say about that right now. There are times when God and others will see things in you that you haven't been able to see because to you, you just thought it's the way everybody processed. And yet others can see, wow, you really come alive 
in this situation or with this need or in this troubleshooting. Does that make sense? The second thing is we have to be so careful as Christ followers that we walk with humility with each other and not judgment. Because if I think that everybody reads the Bible and it falls out to them in a three-point outline, then I have just put on you that I expect you to want to lean into the Bible and be telling people the word of God the same way that I do. Or if Trudy thinks, well, everybody's supposed to be the same kind of caregiver that I am, she could look at me, who, by the way, I don't sign up on meal trains. I'm just going to say it right now. I don't. There are things that I don't do, and I don't sign up on meal trains, and I'm getting to the place where I don't have a lot of shame about that. But other Christ followers might look and see that my name is never on the meal train and go, why doesn't Jennifer care about people? Well, I do care about people, but I'm learning the difference between what I do and what I don't do. Make sense? So there's a universal calling, there's an individual calling, and there's this journey of how do we know what God's direction is? The other thing I want to point out is there's a difference. There's a, there's a nuance in a question that I think is really important. I think sometimes when we're talking about what is God's call on my life, there are two ways we need to look at that. One is, who am I? How am I wired? What am I geared to do? What am I passionate about? What do I love? What trips my trigger? What wakes me up? What are the things that I wake up thinking about? And, and, and the, the big picture ideas, for me, a lot of times, those ideas are outside my area of influence. I don't have any influence in them yet, but they're a part of who I am, and they're a part of how I'm wired. It's part of this, God created me in a certain way. Who is that? The second part of calling is, so what do I do? What ministry should I plug into? What, what job should I do? What child should I teach? Do I homeschool? Do I not homeschool? Do I take this job? Do I stay home? Do I work for the church? Do I work for a secular place? What, what, what is it that I do? And I think usually when I think of calling, I'm thinking of this, what should I do question? And how do I know the will of God? And do I move forward? But I think we need to spend a little bit of time in the who am I because everything that we do flows out of this, who am I in Christ? Make sense? And the other reason we need to function out of that, who am I, is because some of us need to realize that the missionaries and the pastors and the evangelists, they're not the professional Christians. They're not the only ones who know their calling. Some, somebody said last hour that calling to them meant meant a missionary or a pastor. If you've been called, you've been called to official and professional ministry. And I would say we are all called to reflect the image of Christ, and we are called to do that in whichever sphere of influence we have. So if I'm going to work 40 hours a week in an insurance office or as a school teacher or as a nurse, what is my calling in that place? It's to live out who God created me to be in the sphere of influence that he gave me, that I might be a reflection of him. And so sometimes I think we can release the, oh, what is God's will? What am I supposed to do and live into? This is the day God has given me with the people he has given me. Who am I in this place? And will I live out his call on my life in the place that he's given me? So for example, I shared that I know that part of my giftedness, the way that I am wired, is to clearly communicate what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit, whether that's through a word or a picture or a song or a scripture to communicate what I sense God is telling me. There was a time in my life, uh, 
the moment that I knew that 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 calling, that that giftedness took root and I had an understanding of it, I had just, I was 19 years old and I had spoken at a chapel in a Christian school here in Salem. And a teacher that had had me as a student who happened to be at the chapel took me by the shoulders, looked me in the eye and said, this is what you were made to do. And I knew that she was right. It settled deep in my spirit that, that communicating God's truth to others was how I was wired. But at that time, the only picture I had of that was speaking to groups of people. So I felt like, Jennifer, what you were made to do is to speak to other people. And in order to do that, you need a stage. In order to do that, you have to be invited to come be the speaker. And for 10 years, nobody invited me to come be a speaker anywhere. And I was wrestling with God with, this is your call on my life, but there is nowhere to go do it. How do I do this? And I needed to learn, and God was teaching me, and his phrase during that season was, Jennifer, be faithful in the little things. Jennifer, be faithful in the little things. Because I kept wanting the big stage, and I didn't have a big stage, and so I was, I was agitated, and I was angry, and I, and I was critical, and I was wondering why I didn't get to live out my calling until I began to realize that did you know that you can clearly communicate what God is putting on your heart to someone when you're having coffee with them? Did you know that your family needs you to clearly communicate what you sense from God on their behalf when you're parenting your children? Did you know that when you are interacting with your parents, you need to be able to clearly communicate what you sense God saying? And as I began to understand what the quote little things were that weren't little things at all, they were the, they were the bedrock of life. As I began to practice how he wired me to listen to him, to seek him, to pray for him. And when I would have an invitation maybe to go to a mom's group, um, I would pray, God, what's your heart for this group of moms? And I would prepare my lesson and then I would speak it. Well, what about the day when I finally realized and I woke up that morning, and I said, God, what is your heart for my son today? How can I parent today the way that your heart for him is? And how can I communicate that in a way that he can hear that? And so beginning to live out my calling without having a specific ministry attached to it was a huge piece of the foundational understanding of myself so that when I got the call that was bigger than me, that I didn't know how I would possibly do it to come and be a pastor of women's ministries at Salem Alliance when I had never even been to Bible school. I went to Western Oregon University to be a school teacher. I understood that I could answer that call and step into that call because God had spent years answering the question, building my identity, and showing me how to live into who I am so because I understood my call. I could then come and lead it in a specific setting where I had a call to a particular ministry. Questions, thoughts, comments on that? Things that that brings up that you're like, I've learned this too, Jennifer, or questions on that? Universal calling, individual calling, difference between who I am and what I do. Tina? Yeah, I think of, uh, you know, the individual calling as far as, you know, what, what do I want to do as far as either self-employment or something like that? Yeah, so the individual calling has a lot to do with answering the question of what am I doing on a day-to-day -day basis with my life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're going to dive into scripture and look at the life of Gideon and how he heard the call and responded to the call and messed up the call and uh, questioned the call and take a look at what we can learn in our own journey of recognizing, is this God's calling? Is this not? How do I walk in it? Okay? So we're going to read from Judges chapter 6 together. I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read some, and I'm going to tell some of the story, but we're going to be interacting with this story now for the rest of the time here. Yes. 
Sure. So let me try to restate that because we are being recorded, and so I want those who are experiencing the seminar on recording to understand it. So the question is, you have a specific thing that you're passionate about, that you love, that brings joy, and yet there are times when there's defeat in that and it doesn't go the way you thought. So is it really a calling or is it just an interest? Am I understanding that correctly? And I would say, as we look at Gideon, we'll unpack that a little bit more. My initial response would be, the psalmist tells us that when we seek God with our whole heart, he gives us the desires of our heart. I've come to interpret that to mean when I have a really strong desire that is aligned biblically with what God's heart could be, that I pay attention to that and I would call that a calling. If God has given me a huge desire for something and a joy in that, that's how he's wired me. It's at least a piece of my calling. I don't think having a calling always means it's going to go the way we think it means, but our, let's say in your case that it's, it's people with addiction and there's a relapse. If someone that you've been working with has a relapse, does that negate what you've been investing in their life? Does that negate the joy as you've been walking with them? Does that change the reality that, that, that God has been using you in their life? And I don't think it does. I think times of defeat don't mean we're not called. It just means we're in a broken world and we hit a wall and there's a need for breakthrough and we're working with human beings who, quite honestly, were given free choice. That's one of the foundational parts of God's kingdom is that we get to choose him or choose not him. And our calling interacts with people who still have that free choice and get to do that. So that's my initial pass at that. And let's see if we get into more of it as we get through Gideon a little bit. One random thought that keeps flitting into my head, so I'm going to say it now. One of the ways that I've learned to interact with calling in my own life is something that I call the faucet. When the faucet is turned on, that's when I have ideas for a specific area. Ideas, and I notice things, and passion, and prayers rise up, and I wake up in the night taking notes. So for example, when I was in a transition time between volunteering in women's ministries, and I said I volunteered with the children's worship choir for a while, the faucet was on. I was sitting in church on a Palm Sunday, and I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if you had a kid's choir on a Palm Sunday? And the kids could sing this song and this song, and they could run in with palm branches, and you could order those palm branches from here, and we could finance that by this, and we could... And so by the next Palm Sunday, I was volunteering with the kid's choir because I had ideas and passion, and that's what I wanted to be doing. I did that for two years. I helped the team that was doing that, and the last time we had a kid's choir coming up, I knew it was in three or four months. I knew I needed to be deciding what songs the kids would be doing and what the set would be. I had nothing. I had no interest. I had no ideas. Honestly, I didn't care what the kids sang. I thought it would be great if the kids did sing. I've seen kids' choir be a really cool part of worship at Salem Alliance Church, but my faucet was off. And I've learned to pay attention to my faucet with the specific calling, the, the question of what do I do, I've learned to pay attention to the faucet. That when the faucet is on, I am paying attention to where God might be opening the door for me to bring those ideas to pass. And when I've been in a place where I have been functioning with that faucet on, when it turns off, the first inclination is to say, how do I get the faucet turned back on? <laughs> Why don't I have ideas anymore? I, I need to spend more time with God. I need to, whatever. I, I got to get those ideas back, and then I realize, oh, wait, the faucet is the Holy Spirit. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the, the gifting of the Spirit, the ideas of the Spirit, the strategies of the Spirit, the problem-solving of the Spirit, and if the faucet is off, I have to ask, is Holy Spirit moving me to a different place right now? 
So even though I'm still wired the same way and I have the same giftings and whatever I bring to the next place will be from who I am. So it's the same call because I'm the same person. It's a different specific call because God is moving me on to a new season of life. And so I've learned to pay attention to the faucet when it's on and when it's off. Another really important factor about calling that I think we lay, lay the foundation of is I believe that our calling will change through life. Not necessarily our gifting and the way that we work, but there can be different seasons. When, when my kids were five and three and zero, I didn't have the capacity to do the same things I do now. My calling was completely a high and holy calling to love my children and serve in my home. The season changed when I was able then to, to work. And so seasons will change with, for empty nesters. Seasons change for young moms. Seasons change when you're widowed. Seasons change when your job changes. And all of those things will impact what we do or don't do. Some of us feel like, if I can just find God's call, I'm going to do it for 30 years. And there are some people who do the same ministry or the same, they invest in the same community for 30 years. Some of us don't do that the same way. And so paying attention to the ebb and flow of, of the faucet, of our time and our availability, those kind of things. Other questions or thoughts before we get into Gideon here? Okay. So what's happening here with Gideon is that the Israelite nation has been saved from Egypt. They've wandered in the desert for 40 years. They've come into the promised land. They have succeeded in conquering the promised land, and each tribe was given an area. And on his deathbed, Joshua said, continue to conquer, finish claiming your lands, drive out the rest of the people, and serve your God only. Joshua dies, and we find that the nation of Israel, as the generation that lived with Joshua died, no longer had the same experiences, no longer had the same testimonies, no longer had the same compulsion, and they did not drive out the people. They did not finish claiming the land, and they began to worship the other gods, and they fell away from God, and God, God left them to what he said he would do if they did not follow him. And we find in the book of Judges this, this up and down journey for the nation of Israel where they would turn away from God, they would worship other gods, he would bring in a conquering army who would just totally destroy them, and, and they would be subject for 10 or 12 or 8 years, and then they would cry out to God, please rescue us. A judge would rise up, would rescue them, and while that judge lived, they would follow God, and as soon as that judge died, they would quit following God, <laughs> and they would begin to worship Baal and Asherah and, and do all these things they weren't supposed to do, and God would remove his presence, and the conquering army would come back in, and then they would cry out to God, and then a judge would rise up, and, and here's, the, here's the pattern. So when we join this story, they have been subject to Midian for a number of years, the Midianites and their enemies would come in at the harvest time and like locusts cover their fields, eat all their food, and then leave. They were, I'm sure, also in battle and being killed, but the biggest thing was that they were starving because their enemies were taking their food every harvest season. So we find Gideon in, chapter, in verse 11 of chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abbey's right, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, okay? So you've got a son who is trying to get enough wheat for a loaf of bread, and he's grinding it in the wine press so the Midianites don't find him and take their wheat. They're starving. It says at the beginning, the angel of the Lord came and sat, but you guys need to remember that we get to see this in hindsight. 
Gideon did not know this was the angel of the Lord. You and I know this is the angel of the Lord. He was just approached by someone who walked up and then said this, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. <laughs> He's hiding in a wine press grinding wheat, and somebody walks up and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Here's point one. God will see things in us that we do not see in ourselves. <laughs> in Samuel, um, when Samuel was called to anoint the next king, he thought for sure that uh, David's older brother was going to be king. And God said, no, that's not him. And he says, the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You and I only see the outward appearance of others, and we only see our inner part and our outward experience as much as our experience has shown us. God sees something in us that we do not see in ourselves. And just because an idea or a passion or something that rises up within you is beyond your area of influence or beyond your area of experience does not mean that it's not God's call, <laughs> right? The other thing about this is that Gideon immediately begins arguing. He immediately begins questioning. He immediately, and, and it's fascinating to me what his first argument is. So the angel says, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Hear this. Gideon's first argument at the call of God was the fact that he was offended with God. Gideon was offended with God. Gideon had fathers who had stories of God rescuing, but he had never seen God rescue. Gideon's whole life has been in subjection to a people who are stealing their food, killing their people. He has never seen God act on their behalf. As a matter of fact, he says the Lord has forsaken us. That word means abandoned. Gideon felt abandoned by God, and God came and called him in that moment. Friends, somebody here needs to hear this. God's call on your life is not limited because you are offended with him. Some of you came today and you put on your smile because you were coming to a women's event and you thought that what you had aching inside you, the agony that you feel, the questions that you feel, they're just not okay here at church because this isn't the way church people are. Can I tell you this? God is not offended by your offense with him. Are you a person who hears people say something like, you know, I really sense the Holy Spirit tell me this. And you go, I have never heard anything from God that I could say I know I've heard from God. All my life, I have prayed to hear from God. Don't you think if God could talk to people, he could make himself clear to me? What's wrong with me, God, that you won't let me hear your voice? I don't have the answer for that. But if you're offended by that, it is not limiting his ability to call you. I would say this. If you're a person who would say, I don't hear from God like that, I don't know how to hear from God, I strongly and highly recommend a seminar that Salem Alliance teaches called Recognizing God's Voice. And it's a weekend seminar that walks through different ways that people recognize God's voice. And you know, just like I said, you might not recognize your own giftedness because it's the way you've always thought. You might not recognize God's voice because it's just always been there and you never knew it was him. It might just be the way that you see the world, and you just think you see the world that way, but actually, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit in you showing you how to see the world. And this recognizing God's voice is just a great one. God was not offended by the fact that Gideon was offended with him. As a matter of fact, he just carried on. And what I love about this, though, the kind of 
speaking the truth in love, is that the angel of the Lord did not answer that question. <laughs> he didn't rebuke Gideon because of the question. He didn't negate the call. It wasn't like the angel of the Lord said, Hail, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, hey, God has forsaken us. And he said, oh, sorry, I didn't know you were offended with God. You can't be the one to do this. You can't be the one to answer this call because you're offended with God. No, he just kept talking. He didn't answer the question, but he didn't stop the call either. And it says in verse 14, so he says, the Lord has forsaken us. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. <laughs> I am so offended with you, God. Okay, now go. I'm sending you. <laughs> I'm talking to you now and I'm sending you. And then he said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. You know, when you talk about the clans of Israel, we know that Levi was the clan of the priests and Judah was the clan of the kings. Do you ever really hear about Manasseh? <laughs> I don't hear much about Manasseh. And his family was the least in that tribe that was one of the least, and he was the youngest and the least of his family. This is the question that I think you and I are very apt to ask. God, how could I do that? Why me? How could I, I'm, not the, I'm not the one you meant to ask. This angel of the Lord is telling Gideon that he is going to deliver the people from their oppressors, and he has a really realistic question. Really? <laughs> How? And again, the angel of the Lord is not offended with the question. Friends, when you and I sense something rising up in us about how God made us and it scares us, because we're like, I don't know how to be that. I don't know how to do that. When we have a big call, Trudy, can I use you as an example? When we have a big call, like going back to school when you have three kids and doing something you've never done before, God is not offended by our, are you sure? <laughs> Why me? How me? How am I going to do this? He just continues to promise us that he will be present with us. Our questions and our confusion and our offense and the fact that we don't know the way forward, none of those make God stop and go, oh, yeah, you're right. I called the wrong person, right? So Gideon says, I'm the least of it. And in verse 16, the Lord says to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Friends, our identity isn't really about who we are. Our identity is about who God is. He says, Gideon, you can go because I will be with you. Jennifer, you can answer my call because I am the one who's going to go first, and I am the one who's going to equip. This is all about God. This isn't about Jennifer. This isn't necessarily about you. Yes, do we need to look to God for the courage to step forward with what he calls us? Absolutely. But we have to recognize that our identity, who we are, is not about us. It's about who God is, and he doesn't ever change. And we can take that to the bank every single time. So God tells him, I will go. And then Gideon goes through this thing where he says, okay, well, if I found favor in your eyes, uh, I need you to show me a sign. So please don't leave because I'm going to go get a sacrifice. So Gideon goes and he prepares a sacrifice. The angel of the Lord touches the sacrifice and fire springs out of the touch and consumes the meat and the unleavened cakes. And then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And now hear this. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. All that stuff before that, Gideon was talking with a person. It was only after the sign from God that he perceived that he had been talking with the angel of the Lord. And then he says, woe is me for I have seen the Lord and surely I must die. Which is always the response in scripture when somebody realizes they have talked face to face with God. 
But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And that night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Hear this. That morning, Gideon was in the wine press threshing the wheat, hiding from all of his enemies. That night, the instruction from the Lord is to pull down the altars that his entire community worships. And not only that, but to sacrifice his father's bull, which is their livelihood, on that altar. Friends, sometimes God's call is hard work, and obedience is scary. And our social and our culture and our family pressures can create opposition to what God is telling us to do. And yet, if we know that we have heard from God, then we have the courage to obey, even when it might cost us our life. And so Gideon does obey, but I love this. It says he took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. I just think that's wise obedience right there. <laughs> go ahead and do it, but go ahead and do it at night. Because he didn't want, and sure enough, when they woke up in the morning, they, they, they saw that the altars were, were pulled down and they said, who did this? They found out it was Gideon. They went to his dad and said, bring out your son so that he can die. So, I mean, this was serious stuff. This community was hugely threatened by the acts that Gideon had done in obedience as he had knowledge of a specific way forward. He obeyed, and yet it brought him immediately into a threat. His dad actually spoke up for him and said, are you going to contend for Baal? Are you going to save him? Whoever contends for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Friends, this is really important. If our calling calls us into a conflict or into opposition, we need to recognize that we don't need to defend that opposition and we don't need to worry about the people who are opposed to us because that opposing force can contend for itself. If Baal is a god and somebody pulled down his altar, he can fight for himself. And so as we face opposition as one of the hurdles to following God's call, we need to lean in and trust to say, God, I'm not going to try to answer all the questions. I'm not going to try to have all the defenses in place. I'm going to obey you and trust you to contend for me and trust the opposition to take care of itself. So God saw something in Gideon that he didn't see in himself. God gave him knowledge of a specific way forward, and then he gave him the courage to do it. We follow through in um, 33, we see that the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and like they did, they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel, eating everything that they had. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the, he called out the people, and he sent messengers throughout the land to pull together an army. Okay? So Gideon has caught the vision. Gideon sees what his calling is. He knows what God is calling him to do. He's acting on it. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit of God clothed Gideon, and he gave him that courage and confidence. And then, and, and it, actually I was surprised by this when I read through it this time because I didn't remember the order of it. I think the part of the story about Gideon that most of us remember is his fleece, you know? God, if, this, if you're really in this, then make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Okay, God, you did that. That's great. And I'm sorry if I'm too needy, but mm, that was kind of easy. Can you make the ground wet and the fleece dry and another night and God did that? Do you know the whole thing of the fleece happened after he blew the trumpet and called the armies? 
He already knew he'd heard from God. He had already done the difficult obedience and seen God defend him in that. He had already called out the armies and been empowered by God, and he still doubted. And he was still insecure. And he was still afraid. And he still needed to know. Friends, you and I, it's not like we get this, oh, here's the call of God on my life, and I'm never going to doubt again. And I'm never going to have insecurity, and I'm never going to be afraid. It is that when I face that, I am going to go back to God. And every time I'm going to say, God, if this is you, please show me. God, if this is truth, please show me. Give me your strategy. Give me your sign. Some of us look back at this and we kind of say, well, Gideon was so weak because he didn't know. But friends, I am just as weak. Gideon was a hot mess. And so am I. I have this call on my life and I live into it with passion and purpose. And then a week later, I sit in my office and go, what am I doing here? What do I have to offer these people? Isn't there somebody else who could do a better job at this than I could? And then God gives me another inspiration about something or an opportunity or a person to talk with. And I, and I catch the vision again of, no, this is how God has wired me. And he has given me the gifts and strength to do what he's called me to do. And it's this back and forth and this up and down. And he wasn't offended by it in Gideon and he's not offended by it in me and he's not offended by it in you. So when you set out on a path and then you get insecurity rising up again, don't let the enemy fool you into thinking that your call ended or that you heard wrong. But lean into God and say, God, I'm insecure again. Would you show me again that you're the one in this? Would you show me again that this is your calling for me? And if truly the faucet has turned off, which is different if you're facing discouragement and despair and you just feel like you're not worthy of the call, that is not what I mean by the faucet being turned off. That's the attack of the enemy trying to undermine God's call on your life. But if truly you've been involved in something and your heart for it has changed and you are walking with God and, and your identity is secure in him, but you don't sense the same passion about that thing, then your call has shifted. Do you hear the difference? Don't give up under the discouragement of the enemy, but listen to the conviction of God if he's pointing you in a different direction. So Gideon puts out his fleece. The fleece is answered, and he knows that he's supposed to take these people. So then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring, and they were ready to face their enemies. And then God said to Gideon, the people with you are too many. I love this. They're too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 people left and 10,000 people stayed against an army that was like the locusts in the field spread out across the whole valley. I was in Israel in 2014, and we were at a women's retreat with some uh, international workers up in Galilee, and we were sitting around a pool at a um, guest house kind of um, bed and breakfast type of place, and the, the, the international worker pointed across the way and said, that's that mount. And I said, well, which one is that? She goes, oh, you know, the one that Gideon and all those people. And I'm like, how unfathomable is it to be sitting here looking? I mean, it'd be like me looking and pointing over there and saying, Those, that's the coast range right there? Yeah, that's the one that Gideon in the army did all this stuff on, right? Right there. It was just, it was fabulous to me. Anyway, so they're at this mountain, 22,000 people leave, 10,000 stay, and God says, you still have too many. So take them down to the creek, watch the way that they drink, and the ones that lap like a dog got to stay, and the ones who did it different didn't get to stay, and he was left with 300 people. So God whittles the army down to 300. Gideon is following him. 
chapter 7, verse 9, that same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. All of these signs, all of these things, all the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and when God gives the instruction, now go, he follows it up with this. And I love this because it's the grace of God in seeing our hearts, understanding us, and walking with us in our weakness. Because even after everything he had told Gideon, he says this, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So Gideon, who it seems was afraid, went down to camp, heard a Midianite talking in his tent about a dream that he had had, and the interpretation of the dream was that God had given Midian into the hands of Given, given Midian into the hands of Gideon. And from the interpretation of that dream, Gideon went back up to the hill in confidence, roused the army, and said, now it's time to go. Do you hear that? When we know God's call and we're walking in it in full obedience, God still sees our hearts and he knows our weakness and he knows what we need. And there doesn't have to be any shame if there is still fear. But we lean into what he's given us, which in this case was a dream. So if you've ever watched Veggie Tales, you know how it ends. They took their tubas and they played their tune and they said, for the Lord and for Gideon. And they, and they broke their clay jars and shined their lights and they sounded their trumpets and the Midianites turned on each other and went into panic and they killed each other and they all ran off and the Israelites were able to pursue them and kill them and there was a very small amount of them left when it was all over. And God freed the Israelites from the Midianite oppression and it tells us that, um, tells us that during the life of Gideon, Israel had peace but that after his death, they turned back again to the ways of following Baal and Asherah. One of the things also that happened at the end of this was that um, Gideon said, no, I won't be your king, but each of you give me a gold earring. And they made an ephod out of that, which I understand was an item of worship, actually, something that God had um, created them to make for the priests. But they ended up worshiping this ephod. And what ended up happening was it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. And so even though he walked this call fully, he ended up in pride and being tainted by power and turning at the end. And what I would say is this. When we walk with ourselves or with others or we watch what's happening in the church and in the world, just because someone falls into sin does not mean they weren't called in the first place. Just because we turn away, just because we've become wayward, just because in our free will we make a bad choice doesn't mean that God didn't use us prior to that point, and it doesn't mean that God can't use us after that point. It just means that we got snared by something of the enemy like Gideon did. And so when oftentimes God's calling is clearest in hindsight, <laughs> when we can see obedience followed by breakthrough, Gideon obeyed, and he whittled down the army from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Then they saw the victory. When we see obedience followed by breakthrough and transformation, we can know that we're following God's call. Sometimes we know and recognize God's call by the affirmation of others or circumstances or the repetition of the call that he's given us. And sometimes we face opposition or we face our own lack of experience or we face the fact that we have fear or insecurity we face our own expectations of what we think something should look like. And we need to remember what um, Joshua told the people, Joshua, or God told Joshua in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. No matter what your lack of experience is, no matter your lack of skill, no matter your questions, your offense with him, your fear, God is with you and our calling and our identity are rooted in who he is, not in who we are. At the bottom of the back page of your handout, there's a line in bold. It's something that I wrote. It's a quote from me. Take it with a grain of salt. Change it as you want. But it's my thought on this today. God's call on my life will always exceed my abilities and most likely my experience and comfort, or it's not a God-sized calling. Friends, we're called to be the reflection of Christ to a world that doesn't know him. And there's no way they can know him unless they see him. And the only way they can see him is through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and I. And if the only thing we attempt is something that we can do in the physical and in the natural, they will never see the reflection of God in us. So when you have a call on your life that makes your heart beat and terrifies you and makes you wonder how in the world it could ever come to pass, you're probably on the right track for the call that God has placed on your life. And remember, that's not just what you're going to do, but it's how you're going to be the person he created to be in the sphere of influence that he gave you today. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and you created us with a desire to be involved in your kingdom, to have ownership and influence. And that desire for influence rises up in each of us differently the passion that you've given us, the invitation that you've given us, the things that we might want to be involved in or speak into, it's different for all of us, but all of it starts with you. Thank you that you didn't just call us to be passive followers with no input, but you gave us a gift so that we could be a part of building your kingdom. Would you give us the courage to enter into that call? Would you give us the discernment to see where you have gifted us? Would you give us the wisdom to see where the enemy has lied to us and where fear and doubt has had too much power? And would you remind us that our fear and doubt do not cause you to take away your call, but just are an invitation to lean into you being honest with how we feel? Lord, we want to be your women who walk boldly with courage the path that you have carved out for us. We pray against the spirit of confusion in people's lives, and we pray for honest eyes, humble eyes, to have confidence and yet humility as we walk with each other in the body of Christ. In your name, Lord, amen.